Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad that you have come along. This is going to be a great episode. Many of you will know that back in February, we were emphasizing the things that were happening in, at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, and the outpouring that was happening there. And we've had several episodes where we've talked about that. Today, I'm really excited to continue that conversation. But before I do that, I want you to know that this podcast is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we're really excited right now. We've just been one of the first institutions approved by the Global Methodist Church, and we're the first institution approved to offer a course of study. And we have more than 115 students who signed up for our course of study just in the last six weeks. And we would love for you, if you're a part of the Global Methodist Church or you're thinking about being a part of the Global Methodist Church, to come and check us out in the things that we're doing here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. Of course, we're not restricted to any particular denomination. We're not a denominational school, but a school in the Wesleyan tradition, emphasizing the authority of Scripture and the opportunity we have to experience God's sanctifying grace in this life. So check us out at wbs.edu. Also, if you're interested in things that are coming from my podcast and website, you can find out more information there at andymillerthethird.com. That's andymillerii.com. We have a few things that we're offering there right now. There is a, a course, a study on the book of Jude, which has been real important in revivals throughout history. Secondly, we also have a free resource called Five Steps to Deeper Teaching and Preaching. It's a 45-minute a video session that I have available, an eight-page guide to help people go deeper in their exegetical work and, and preparing messages and teaching sessions. So I'd love for you to check that out. That's free if you sign up for my email list. And there's several other things available there. I'd love for you to check that out. All right. I am so glad to welcome in the podcast. David Thomas, who serves as a senior advisor of the New Room Movement. So I'm calling it the New Room Movement. I just be New Room. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. So good to be with you today. Well, in my interaction with you has been interesting through the years. Back when I was probably a student at Asbury University, you were a pastor at a, a large United Methodist church in, in Lexington, and I came and sat and I heard you preach a few times. Then I went to a seminary, and your wife was really engaged there. But I didn't actually meet you until you came into this role with New Room and Seedbed. And it's been a real delight to kind of watch you from a distance, get to know you a little bit more, and, and then just to see the kind of passions and the way God has lined you up for, I think, really, for this particular moment, because you're somebody who's incredibly interested, studied, participated in revivals. Tell, tell us a little bit about how you came to be so interested in revivalism. Yeah, thank you. Well, I um, I think a lot of that had to do, Andy, with when I first entered into ministry, I had fallen in love with Jesus and yes. also with the church as I had come to understand it in the New Testament. And uh, I just became convinced this really is the hope of the world. And um, so I finished seminary and I got out and I started being a pastor. And yeah. all of a sudden I collided headfirst into the church of current reality. Wow. And the yeah. gap between the church I'd fallen in love with and the church that I was actually shepherding day by day was an extreme gap. It was just mm, so, mm -hmm. I, I, I couldn't get over it. And um, the strain of that, the was either, you know, either I'm going to just sort of uh, kind of get co-opted to it and just sort of see this as careerism and I'm just going to join in and just kind of do the thing, or I'm going to hold on to this longing I have and so what do I do with that? What do I do with the longing? 
the only way to close that gap is to step into it in a, a, a manner of just lo- of deep agonizing prayer and to then organize my life in such a way that I'm pursuing um, an outpouring of the, pr- the power and love of God. Mm. And I can't, you know, just begin to understand that wasn't too far afield from where we all came from. That's the taproot of our Wesleyan legacy was uh, Wesley had uh, had been born again. It had a deep encounter. And yeah. um, and yet there he was um, contending with the deep sort of decay of the Church of England in his day. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and so the Methodists sort of stepped into that gap and uh, birthed an awakening. And, um, and I, for me, I have just sort of made peace with just living in that strain, in that longing and that hope. And the way that I see it, you know, the, the, um, we're living under such a, a moment of profound cultural decay, yeah. really kind of a free fall. And I, I can't even look at it without withering in despair, unless I am ordered and moving toward a hope for awakening. Yeah. Really, awakening just gives me a kind of hope posture that allows me just to be fully honest, fully engaged with the realities of the day, but not be undone by them. Wow, interesting. Now, it's interesting. You used the word kind of speaking of yourself and your own experience of careerism. And if I can just think back to where, where I first saw you preaching at Centenary United Methodist Church, that was, I think, if not the largest, one of the largest churches in that conference, like the career trajectory, you were on a good trajectory. It probably was comfortable. I imagine too, to a certain degree, like, what what was it? Was it just this sense that that calling to awakening, just like it couldn't be satisfied anywhere else even. And I'm not, of course we want people to serve in churches, but this was a distinct thing that you, and what was that like leaving the comforts of being in a church and, and, and having a good successful career as a pastor? Yeah, I appreciate that. And this is the thing. I I do think that to some extent I lived in sort of an internal battle over it. Okay. Where I, you know, I had been captured by uh, our inheritance as Wesleyan Christians. Yeah. And um and really was seeking to live toward that. Really hold our denomination accountable to our movement, hold our accountable to our origins. But I, I was also very much on that track of, um, you know, the, the numerical measures and all of right. the reputation and the, and the, you know, what, what, how people would see me and where I would go. And I was young and I was just kind of wanted to make a mark and be big and all of that stuff that we can be. So, you know, they, they, they say that in, in that day, the big model was to be kind of the CEO pastor. Right, right, Today, right. it's to be a celebrity pastor with right. each following on social media, both of which are tremendous compromise, you know, just yeah. compromised. And I, I think I did sort of hit this point of realizing careerism will, at, will have to go. Wow. If I do want to become... Uh, you know, useful to God around the real, around wow. real biblical Christianity. That will be a life of being misunderstood, unthanked, ultimately um, comfortable with being obscure. That yeah, careers- yeah. careerism is too small a thing for me to give my life to. The church of human excellence is too small a thing. It's not worthy of my life. 
Yeah. Jesus is worthy of my life. Amen. Amen. And the kingdom of God, that's the most important thing happening on the earth. But just sort of trying to, to build um, a church that just uh, fills pews. A lot of times I think, Andy, honestly, I feel like what we've done is created crowds, not yeah, church. Sure, sure, crowds. sure. Yeah, and, yeah. And this has really failed us. Yes. This is really not working for us. And this is the message I feel like Gen, Gen Z is telling us. And Gen Z is the one who really shaped what happened at Asbury. Yes. Gen Z is saying, listen, it's either real or I'm out. Wow. All of this high production. Okay, I know you walk in, the lights go down, you have the music, it's performance ready, it's unbelievable talent. I'm blown away by the fog machines, the lights are working. And then you deliver me to this brilliant oratory. And I'm just like moved by it. And it's astounding. And then the lights come back up and we go back to some more music and you deliver me out the door. And I'm sort of meant to kind of think, okay, I think that was God. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I think Gen Z is saying, you know, I'm not sure it is or not. And wow. now I've listened to all you famous preachers and I'm watching all your moral failures and I'm seeing all the implosion and I'm not really sure I believe it or not anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I think they're just like done with it. That's wow. why we are bleeding Gen Z away. We're wow. him, And they're saying, okay, all the race and the vaccination and the masking and all the, you know, all this stuff. And where were you, you know, where are you in my real life stuff? Back in the 60s, the church led the way in the civil rights. Now, have you handed it over to Black Lives Matter? Maybe yeah, I'll just go yeah, with them. Yeah. And I think yeah. that they're just, there's there's such a penetrating critique upon us right now that really careerism is just, careerism is just ridiculous now. Yeah. It's sure. like, are you serious? You're actually still trying to build a ministry career? I say to pastors all the time, I, there are all these statistics. Barn is telling us that more pastors are thinking about leaving than ever. Yeah. And I always want to say, I pray that no pastor will ever leave the ministry, right, but I right. pray that all of us will leave our ministry careers. Amen. Yeah. We're out yeah. of time for careerism. Yeah. We're under an urgent moment. I feel like we're doing church under a five alarm fire. Yeah. It's like we are yeah. losing a generation. It's time to forget our careers and just, what does it take? Let's get after awakening. Let's get after prayer. Let's get after the real because Amen. we don't have any time to spare. Beautiful. David, thank you so much for that. I hope that all the students at Wesley Biblical Seminary are listening to every word that you're saying there, because it, it's so tempting to move that way. That, that was a, a little bit of my experience as well. There was, and, and, and in a military system like the Salvation Armies, there's always, a, and generally people are moving up in some way or another. Sometimes their trajectory is, is faster for others. And there was a sense that because of my trajectory, that was all that that mattered. It's like, and then once I would finally get to the top position or one of the top positions, then I could really bring change. Then I might be able to work towards revival. Now, now that's not nobody said those words to me explicitly, and I'm not con condemning or just critiquing no. that system. I'm right. critiquing me within it. Like that's that was right. what that's that was why. my experience within it. I so I was really, and even my my coming to Wesley Biblical Seminary was like, that's all gone. Like that, 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 and, 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 and honestly, that, that in itself, not because of the system of the army or any of the challenges of the denominationalism, but just the obedience of trying yeah, to say, obedience. like, I want to be a part of something else. Um, so, uh, we, we love the church. We're not scorning. Right. We're not condemning. We love every faithful expression of the church. But I do think Gen Z is saying, you know, all your metrics. Yeah, sure, sure. All your career ladders, I'm done with them. All your trophies, all those trophies, I'm done right, with them. Yeah. I don't care about your trophies. 
I, in I my, mean, my tradition, I mean, we literally had trophies, David. We literally yeah, had trophies so for Sunday school. Gen Z is saying, what are your trophies? What are those? I don't, I need Jesus. I need Amen. help. Amen. I am suicidal. I'm hooked on porn. I have anxiety and depression. I'm not sure about my gender. Everything about me is, is falling apart. And I don't need your trophies. I need the Prince of Peace. In my anxiety, Amen. give me the Prince of Peace. Give me the real. That's what I'm after. And that I feel like that's the moment we're living in. Yeah. Man, David, that's great. Okay, I don't mean to get too too biographical. I'm just curious, what where did this lead you? Okay, so you kind of got rid of a careerism. I know that it, this involves some study before yes. you got to uh, just just bullet point that for me. What happened in your life before you connected with New Room? Right, I um I I left. You know, I'm still very much a pastor. I'll never, you know, past being a pastor is just who I am, not just a job. You know, so I didn't leave. But I left uh, that particular church, which I love to this day and always will. We treasure yeah. that beautiful church and all the people of it. But I went into a Ph.D. program yeah. out of a curiosity about the role of human desperation in the work of God. OK. And uh, that led me to a study of prayer. You know, you can't open someone's chest and look at their desperation. It's got to come out of them yeah. to be able to look at it. And the, that that expression uh, I found around a manner of prayer that I became yeah. curious about. I started tracing that through the scriptures and it led me to uh, this manner of prayer that uh, we hear about from the revival leaders of the first and second great awakenings called travailing prayer. Uh, this is Paul in Galatians 419. I travail as if in the pain of childbirth that Christ might be formed in you. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I discovered this. This was the voice of prayer. And, and uh, all from the colonial period until the late 1800s, uh, this was the way in, in which the church was praying and uh, it kind of a Gethsemane love, this sort of agonizing mm-hmm. love for the lost and for um, the moment they were in. And we've lost that in the West, but I believe the Lord's trying to restore it. And um, so uh, I, I came to the end of that project, you know, looking deeply at Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney, the first second great awakenings. And I shared all of this for the first time at the new room conference yeah, which in its second year, 2015, and uh, this was coming out of uh, Seedbed and New Room, these initiatives, these Pan Wesleyan initiatives around sowing for a great awakening. Uh, I had never spoken of my research. I've been in the in you know for six years, just digging down in it until that day, and I just sort of shared my heart in it. And um, there was a a curiosity, uh, there was a resonance. And with that, um, I was invited into to the work of New Room and have been involved there ever since for the, the last eight years. And um, we just have been so grateful to watch, you know, New Room has become a community of Pan Wesleyan. We, we always say we're not trying to make people into Wesleyans. Right, right. We're just being honest about the accent in our voice. That's kind of where we come from. But we're praying and longing and organizing and pushing and pressing into awakening wherever God wants to send it. Yeah. Wherever sure. he does, we'll thank him for it and ask for more. You know, if it doesn't matter if it's Wesleyan or not. But we come from this deep root of strenuous contending and seeking after God and yeah. the anticipation of a renewing work of grace yeah. in our cultural yeah. moment. That's just kind of where we come from. And we know that that's what God is always, he's always wanting to restore with what he's made. Yeah, yeah. And so we just operate from that and we know we are desperate for that kind of move today. Amen. And so that's what we're working toward and trusting God for and seeing signs of. 
Exactly. And this is what's so interesting is that if you were to say like new room is the child of seedbed, seedbed is the child of Asbury Seminary, Asbury Seminary is the child of Asbury University. Okay. Maybe too many, too many. We're yeah. going too far. Big, how about big brother? How about that? Or, or yeah. big, no, big brother, big sister. Let's say that big brother yeah. has other connotations. Uh, yeah. So, so a sibling Institution, so to speak, if if we call new room an institution, oh man, what a terrible word to use. Sorry, I could come up with a better word. But uh, uh, organism um, is Asbury University, and these things which I've been hearing from you, uh, JD Walt, uh, New Room, all of a sudden there was a unique outpouring, and I'm and you became in your your passions, your research, your placement. Like put you in a position where you became involved. In it. So talk to, I, I don't have a very focused question, but talk to me how you and New Room got engaged with the Asbury yeah. outpouring. Sure. Well, Asbury University has compulsory chapel Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ten. Have for yeah. decades. On that Wednesday, February the eighth, uh, for chapel, the preacher was Zach Mirkreeps, who is like a spiritual son to me, and okay. he preached that day. And um, he ran out of time, landed the sermon hard and just said, you know, I'm out of time because they needed to walk out the door and go to class. Yeah. yeah. So they get up and go. And he said, so, you know, if there's anything about this that is, you know, sounding like it would something you would want, you'll need to pray. And so they left, but about 18 students stayed. Yeah. And uh, and then another 10 or 15 went to class, but didn't feel finished and asked if they could return. And they did. And so about 1120, students were still at the altar and Zach sent me a photo and said, students are still pr praying. So I sent back a praying hands emoji, you know, <laughs> and said, oh, well, and uh, I, I was at a lunch meeting. But after that, that lunch appointment, I checked my phone again and he had video, sent a video of worship resuming and more students in the room. And I texted him, no answer, called, no answer. I thought, wow, he's probably involved in this. And I thought, what is this? This is 1.30 or so, you know? Yeah, sure. And I was curious. And I remember standing in my office thinking, hmm, I think I want to go. Yeah. And so I just got in my car and drove to, to Wilmore from Lexington and canceled the afternoon on the way, walked in the door, got up close enough so that Zach could see me uh, just to say, I'm here, you're doing great, you know, kind of thing. And he walked immediately over to me and gave me a hug. And I felt him kind of shaking in my, in my embrace. He was, yeah, you know, yeah. crying, wow, what is this? This is really touching him. So I just lingered. And uh, as it continued on, the students were becoming so very vulnerable to each other, just confessing and sharing their pain. There was at one point where a young woman was at the altar and she turned around and sort of sat back on the altar rail and just said to the whole, it was like 75 in there at that time. And she said, I know I've probably been really mean to all of you. Wow. And, and I'm sorry for that, but both of my parents are alcoholics and they're getting a divorce. And I'm so afraid that I'm going to grow up and be just like them. Wow. And so last week I went out to high bridge and I was going to jump. Wow. But I got a call from my mom right at that time. This, and I didn't it stopped me. But she said, I feel like a ghost on this campus. I don't feel like wow. anybody knows me. No one knows what I'm feeling and going through. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. And I rem remember real realizing in that moment, I just heard the voice of Gen Z. 
anxious, depressed, suicidal, family erect, lonely, unknown, unseen. Wow. There it is in, in one voice. All the students, of course, just moved toward her. And I realized this thing is breaking to the depths. This yeah. is opening. God, you are opening up the hearts. And so about 4.30 or so that afternoon, I remember seeing Kevin Brown, president of the university, at the, you know, back at the doors. I was at the altar. And I walked back to him and I said, Kevin, I feel like this is, if we don't stop this, this won't, this won't stop. I said, oh, you know, I know. I said, no, seriously, I think it could go through the night. I really believe this could go on all night long. Yeah. So you got Sarah Baldwin, vice president of student life, Zach, two or three others. We went down to the basement and he said, David, tell them. And I said, I do think y'all, we should be prepared for this to go all night. Yeah. And uh, so we said, yeah, I can stay. I can stay around the circle. And uh, we got security and opened it up for the night. And we didn't know it then, Andy, but that little group, had just at that moment fallen into a lifeboat together. Wow. We had no clue at all. We were just going to stay yeah. around that night, but yeah. we ended up not leaving for 16 days and nights. Wow. And that little group stewarded the whole, you know, we just sort of stuck with it. And of course it, there was a larger group that began to involve and stay, you know, and expanded, but there was just a, a you know, a, and I was so privileged to be in that lifeboat and to journey with it 16 glorious days and nights. And, and, um, yeah, I was thankful, honestly, because I, I, you know, all of my research, that was one of the things that was going on. It's like I had just had this filter of what uh, an authentic outpouring could look like. Yeah, I've sure. read about it, dug down and it drilled into it, just had it. And it was just firing in me. I was like, there it is. Look at it. Listen, listen, look at that. It's like, oh, my goodness. I, I just know this is real. Yeah. And so I, that's, I just spoke that. I just said, this is it. Wow. Let's not stop this. And um, and so, uh, you know, the, the thing I've said a lot is there was nothing special about Asbury. It wasn't like, oh, I really like Asbury. I'm going to give it to them. I'm not giving it to these people. I'll give it right, to these right. people over here. It wasn't like that there was that kind of favorites kind of thing going on. But I will say what what was there from the start was what fell into that lifeboat was trust. There had been a lot of work done prior around the integrity of the relationships they were right in there immediately and i've said many times that uh, the quality of our relationship is not an inconsequential thing it really is why jesus taught it if you have a grudge stop praying get up stop yeah, yeah. and go work that out it needs to be awakening ready at every minute we need to live with short accounts we need to live with integrity in our relationships because it is the key ingredient that Jesus promises to be present to. This is where in agreement he comes to, you know, prayer is, is dependent on this. And I think awakening was in there. Thankfully, that kind of integrity was right there on the start. And the second thing was there was willingness. Mm. There was willingness to be interrupted, willingness to be inconvenienced, willingness to do whatever. And Asbury University laid their life down for those 16 days. There was willingness, no matter how hard and demanding it got, there was always the willingness to keep going. And, um, and so that was there from the start. And from that tiny little seed, God was able to grow something. And uh, I believe that can be present in any place. And uh, I, I'm, my prayer is that soon there'll be another story of another outpouring that will eclipse this one. And we'll be able to talk about that one. Yeah, we need sure. thousands of outpourings all over the world for, world for decades. 
But thankfully, yeah. we've had this one, a sign of hope that God is hearing us. He is hearing our prayers. He's not done. It's like, I'm, uh, he's like, you know what? I'm not writing you off. I'm not finished with you. I'm going to help. I'm coming to the West. I'm coming to America. I want to help. I want to reveal my presence to you. I want to rescue Gen Z. That's what we take Amen. Amen. It's like this interesting moment where we 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 long for this for people. We see the hurt that people are experiencing, and like we we want to develop good intellectual arguments to be able to com convince people. We want to put all these things together, have the right curriculum, have the right programs in the church. And like, and you know, and I think you and I for the last, well, I'll say from 15 years since I left seminary or however long ago it was, like I've tried to do those things, but it was so amazing. And, and, and I'll say, you know, and God's used that. God's, God's yeah. used that in, in powerful ways of the things that we've done. There have been a little outpourings here and there, but I'll tell you it was, and I didn't get to get there. Another story, but, but I still loved just seeing the thousands of people come and they were just coming. I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Now I, I, I need to, I need to like the way that conversions were coming the way that there wasn't this sense of, all right, we, we need to check your uh, ethics policy before you walk into Hughes or any of those type of things. It was this, in my mind, like I've read about it. I just, I almost, David, I almost felt like, I almost felt like, well, that was then like there to have, to have these real moments where like, Oh, this is what God wants to do. And I was just so delighted, like thinking, God, you're, you're at work. You, you want to do a new thing. I'm so you thrilled. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, Andy. I, I've all, I really have felt like a Simeon mm. that, you know, I always believed that, I would travail for this, then hopefully my children would see it and maybe my grandchildren would live under a better day, a day yeah, of renewal. Sure. I never dreamed I would lay eyes on what I've read about in the books, but I did. I feel like a semi, like, okay, now. I've told my kids, I can die now. Mm. I've seen. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen what I never dreamed I would see. That room was a throne room. Mm. Jesus claimed that room. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it, more than any time in my life, there was no detectable line between earth and heaven in that room. Mm. The most thorough conversions and the most in the easiest, it was like fruit dropping, just dropping into our hands. I'll you know, the altar never stopped the altar. It was a place of encounter yeah. and people would wait for six to 10 hours and, you know, standing, waiting to get in. And when they get in, they did not want a seat. They went straight to the altar. Wow. People were just wanting to encounter. I remember one time I was there and a young woman approached and we would be inside the altar to pray and they would approach and kneel. And I could tell you she was from India mm -hmm. and she walked up. So her face is wet with tears. She speaks with broken English and her very first words were to me, I've met him. And I, wow. and I knew, and I said, you've met Jesus, haven't you? She said, yes, I have. And he is so great, mm. so great. And I said, oh, yes, he is. And I said, would, would you like just to receive him? Would you like wow. to yield to him? Wow. She said, yes. Is there anything that you would like to repent of? Mm. And she put her arms up. She said, everything, <laughs> all of me. Those oh, wow. And uh, we prayed together. And she was Hindu. Wow. 24 years old. And Andy, there had been no preaching yeah, yeah and there had yeah. been no invitation or call to the altar. Wow. She had just gotten up 
and come. And that he was just doing that. He was revealing, encountering. It was a throne room. Jesus was doing anything he needed to do. It was a room where literally anything in the New Testament was going on. You had physical healings, deliverance, every gift in Pentecost, people resting in the spirit, people renewing relationship, people uh, coming to faith, people being renewed. You talked about uh, one of the most beautiful things that was we talk so, here so much about deconstruction. Yeah, yeah. I witnessed so much reconstruction. Amen. Yeah. These young, young adults who had all these questions and so much church hurt and they were they had encountered Jesus. And it was unmistakable to them. And they were now reworking their questions in light of all of this. And yet, so anything was happening in the room, but nothing took the spotlight. No manifestation, no particular gift. Jesus held the spotlight. He was, he was the focus. And he could do it. He was, he was governing the room and doing anything that he, that he knew that people needed. And it was it, I, I've, I've grown, you know, everything that happened in Hughes Auditorium was the fruit of prayer. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I have never been so motivated to pray because if that's what God does yeah, when sure. we pray, then I want to, I, I want to pray. I've, you know, the, I say often as I talk about the new, the, um, about the outpouring, people say, often they ask, is there anything I can do so it could come to where I am? Mm-hmm. And if and when it comes, how do we carry it? Mm-hmm. And I often just say, well, yeah, you know, you're, the integrity of your relationships and these sorts of things, but fall in love with your closet. Mm. Just fall in love with your secret place. And, and, and just Jesus only. Yeah. Jesus is the reward of the closet. Jesus only. See all of ministry. I would say this to your Wesley students. All See all of ministry as an errand from the closet. Yeah. That you just go out and you come back as soon as you can. And you just, that that is the actual hub of life and uh, allow Jesus to teach you to pray there. And that's, that's how it can come. Oh, I love it. But I feel like you answered my next question already, but there's this, um, what now sort of moment, like, okay, we need, we need to pray. We need to fall in love with our closet. See everything as an errand from there. Um, is there any, what, what do you think will come or what, what should, what, what, what other things should we be doing? Yeah. Well, I do believe Andy, that this is a seek the Lord while he may be found moment. I think we need to resist, uh, n- normalcy. Okay. We say, Oh, that was a sweet thing. And now we're getting, now I got to get back to work. Yeah. I feel like we need to let this wreck us. We need okay. to let this ruin us. And to say, okay, this is the, you know, this is a, this is a genuine, this is an authentic outpouring. It is a, there's a story of what Jesus did in those days, 16 days, but there's also been a story of what we're learning about how he appeared to want to do it. Mm. So we need to, we need to learn from it and allow it to mess with us and, and really you know, the fact of the leadership was multiple, no single person sort of held up under it. The leadership was nameless. We never introduced ourselves This sort of nameless sort of deflection to Jesus. The worship was so pure rather than a green room. The musicians went into what they named a consecration room where they dealt with their sin confronted wow. before they kept and came on stage. These young worshipers were all in there. They were all students. 
when they were being reestablished in their identity, being reminded you are the much loved child of God. You go out there without fear of performance. You go out there with purity of heart. And so when you have pure worship and multiple nameless leadership, there was no flesh in the room. It was Jesus only. He held it. These are things that can sort of stir us. And, uh, you know, what we've seen from the outpouring is that the campus, the American campus has been encouraged and given permission. It's like there's so much hunger in Gen Z. They saw it on, you know, it's like, okay, listen, we've been talking about this. So when are you free next week? Let's just not wait any longer. Let's just get together and call our friends. We're going to pray and get after it. You know, there's been so much permission there. We know we documented 278 universities and colleges had students in Hughes Auditorium in those 16 days. 35 campuses manifested some sort of form of outpouring in those days. That's why it wasn't Asbury. It was happening in loads of places spontaneously. No one was going from Asbury to tell the story of it. It was just happening. And we think another 30 or 40, maybe more, maybe 75 or 80 campuses this semester had some sort of move of, of, of God. And so there's, it seems like there's just being permissions like go just step toward it. And what we can do is, middles and elders in my generation and yours, we can care for their souls and be shade over their boldness and give them space to just linger and wait and pursue God and let it happen. Let it flow. One thing I've so appreciated is Kevin Brown, the president of Asbury, that afternoon sent an email to the entire community. Worship is continuing in Hughes. Feel free to go. He just mm. brought the authority of his, his position over it and gave some shade over it. And he said, let's let the students linger. Let's just let it happen. I don't know if that would have happened on every campus, yeah. but I'm so grateful that that got modeled. What's been happening in the church, permission and encouragement of the campus. I feel like in the church, we're being provoked. Yeah, I think we are being provoked to just say, will you allow Gen Z to step up? Will you allow the young? I mean, you know, if you've come of age on a smartphone, yeah. if you've come of age carrying around a 24-7 porn store in your pocket, wow. if you've been hooked up to a little shame factor in your pocket all your growing up years, and you're still walking with Jesus, yeah, there is a precision and a clarity in your faith that I did not have when I was 20. Mm. They are speaking straight to us. And, and if we'll listen to them, it has a quality of the Old Testament prophets to it. It has a straight shooting, shaking kind of quality to it. And if we will, I mean, for myself, Andy, I don't want to do anything except beside and behind an emerging leader. Hmm. I want to say, come into this, step up, come on. And we'll, we'll front it for you. What's, what's on your heart? We're going to listen. And hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll keep along with it. If it goes off the rails, we'll, we'll get it back. We'll help you. But you go on. We're in that kind of moment. And I feel like that's the, so what do we do with it? I appreciate you asking the question because what we're struggling with right now, JD's helped with this, me think about this, is the two questions at Pentecost. So Pentecost happened and people said, okay, what just happened? Yeah. And I think we're asking that what happened in those 16 days? And Peter stood up and preached and then they were cut to the heart and they had the response of, well, what do we do with it? And I think we're all ask, we're all asking, what do I do with this? Yeah. How do I respond to this? And um, it is a time to press in. It is a seek the Lord while he may be found kind of moment. And I, I really believe that many of us, like you, Andy, by just even hosting this kind of conversation, you're just saying, we can't walk away from this. We can't just like, okay, right, right. old news. We got to stay, stay with this and pray for, uh, I'm really praying that soon, like I said, soon there will be another 
another expression. Yes, there's, yes. There's no, we've wanted, we're not building a booth on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Like we want to hold on to this and we're not yeah. monumentalizing this outpouring in any way. I'm eager for it to be eclipsed. But so long as there's curiosity and openness, I feel like we need to wrestle with what happened yeah. and let it kind of shake us. Amen. So I wonder how this affects even like you in a real pra practical sense of you're responsible for a conference that has been me very meaningful to people. There's a new room conference coming yeah. this fall. Um, how does this experience in like this after Pentecost sort of moment, how, how does that change your planning for the new room? Conference? For new room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this year we're going to two national conferences. So we'll have okay. uh, the one in September, which has been our normal date. Uh, and then in March, we're going to have another new conference just to kind of open up a little bit more opportunity. And we will definitely um, wrestle with the outpouring. And we are now. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, and, you know, we're not trying, like I said, we're not trying to make something from it. We're not trying to put our hands on it and craft something out of it. But we're, we're wanting to let, we're wanting to allow the, the things Jesus taught us in it to shape us. And so I would say that New Room will, will carry some of the lessons learned. We're wanting to be pliable and open. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing, too, that we're doing is um, we're working with a wonderful group uh, and a cinematographer, really, who, and, a, and a visual storyteller to just we're, we're going to develop a suite of video resources, probably six to eight 12-minute videos that sort of just out of eyewitness sort of uh, narratives around key discoveries, key learnings, not to be prescriptive or even instructive, but to be descriptive and provocative. Okay. And we're going to have that resource along with what we're calling the Awakening Library, uh, which uh, is a distillation of the lessons we've learned so far these 10 years. This is our 10th conference. And just, you know, some of the key, the real tested, vetted lessons of what we believe that Jesus has been teaching us Toward, uh, toward renewal. And then we are looking out over all of our conferences and events, and we're just taking our kind of our greatest hits, but our golden moments, the key messages, putting those together. So those three things, an outpouring resource, a, uh, a, the Awakening Library, a little set of booklets, and uh, a, um, this kind of series from our, our, our most memorable messages, all of that into one bundle, and we're going to give it away to everybody. Donor funding, okay. like okay. take it and run. And wow. we'll put it all online. It's all for free. And we're just trying to, I, it feels like that kind of moment to just garner and collect and release and encourage people to just move in what we have learned and what Jesus is revealing and how he's leading. And so that, that posture around um, boldness and contending in prayer and, uh, and moving in, uh, in these ways that just order our life around awakening. It seems like the right thing to do. We're just really trying to resource it. Uh, we're just told, we're just wanting to do our part. There's so many great things that God is doing, yeah. but we're trying to do our part in, in, uh, in, in this cultural moment. We are desperate for awakening. Amen. It's the only hope. And where can uh, and they, so, where can people get information about that? Where can they go of, of the things that are happening, even the conference? Just give us that website. Yes. Yeah, seedbed.com, newroom.com, uh, newroomconference.com, all of those you can find out. And we're not, I'm not anyway wanting to be promotional here. I'm, I'm really, oh, no, no, you, I, you asked the question, but I, no, mean, I want to know. This yeah. is not 
money making. This is really a, we're trying to just yeah. resource and give away. We just we just believe that um, this is a moment where we just wouldn't need to support each other and come together and connect and and uh, and encourage each other to make bold moves. Yeah, yeah. Did while the outpouring was happening. Um, you know, I, I'm careful to say that uh, I had also on Greg Hasselhoff who uh, talked to him yeah. through some of his experience, and I had um, I've had several people. I've, this is probably my eighth podcast on wow. revival, right? And um, love it. Uh, he 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 he. Uh, I noticed in my conversation with him, he tried to pull off the definite article, the outpouring. He just said outpouring, and it was Out. sometimes. Yeah. So I'm trying. I, I Greg, I'm sorry if you're watching this. I didn't do very well there. <laughs> But there was this, did you ever actually, did you get any chances to like go outside of Hughes? Now, again, I'm, I'm your total, I'm an insider of both Asbury institutions, but at the same time, like I didn't get, I wasn't able to get there. Um, yeah. But seeing what was going on outside and the way some of what, what made me think like you weren't, you're not about making money with this. You're not trying to like turn a profit, but the same thing was happening out there is like people were just bringing food, you know, people were and and, yeah. and but it still costs something to somebody at some point and Asbury University certainly costs them to stay open and to how they uh, bring on staff security, whatever. What was your experience outside of Hughes? Yeah, I appreciate that, Andy. I, one of the things you maybe you've already heard this on your previous podcasts, but day two or three, I don't know when it was, uh, Asbury University made the decision to close their call center, pull all advancement officers off the for, off the road, cancel all development events. They did not want anyone. It was gaining so much social media attention. They didn't want oh, anyone right. perceiving that they were trying to make money off of this. And I, I think that was such a beautiful integrity move. Yeah, yeah. And um, and yes, there was so much, um, you know, so much benefiting voluntary supportive kind of uh stuff happening people were just dropping uh, ordering 50 pizzas they would show up no name who know who sent that we don't know you know just <laughs> things just happening like that yeah yeah but it was it was unbelievable to me how um mobile this was that in yeah. all of the um different venues you know at the end it was Hughes Estes Chapel, Seminary Cafeteria, Seminary Gymnasium, Mount Freedom Baptist Church, Great Commission Fellowship, um, the front lawn with, you know, traffic miles out of town, six to eight hour long standing wait. Every street in the town was lined with cars. It was just like that. And Asbury just held up under it. And we would go out and we would walk and talk to people in the line waiting and say, we're so sorry you have to wait. Yeah. And they said, oh, this is, don't worry about us. You know, this is, wow. many people would say, this is inconvenience. It's so much less than what Jesus suffered for me. I'm no, wow. I have no problem. And wow. uh, what, what was happening was there was spontaneous worship happening all over the lawn, all down the line, people praying for one another. They, there was much actually happening in the, uh, all over the place. It wasn't wow. just in Hughes. And, um, and I, I, you know, I just, uh, it was, it was just beautiful to see the unity, the can-do willingness and uh, the generosity of people to support it. Yeah. I, I've said many times, what I witnessed was more than spiritual hunger. Okay. It really was spiritual starvation. Wow. It gave me an actual window into what is out there. What mm -hmm. really is out there, people would do anything to get 
to a place where they believed they could encounter Jesus. It was yeah. felt like yeah. I was in the New Testament with the throngs pressing toward him, just yeah. pressing, yeah. wanting to be, just to get a touch, you know. That's what it felt like to me. And uh, we, we may not feel that and see that and observe that in our normal everyday lives, but that's what's really out there. Oh, David, I love it all. Thank you so much. I know we're running out of time here, but uh, and it seems like my my silly question at the end of every podcast might seem, but I'm sure it can be directed toward uh, outpouring. But is is there more to the story to David Thomas? Yeah, I don't know. How can we slant this? I I feel like I I told you I was going to ask a question, so I I better ask it. <laughs> well, let's see something about me. Uh, I have my wife is Karen. We have three kids and yeah. my oldest Luke has just recently engaged. We love his fiance. We're so thrilled. She's actually coming today to stay with us for a few days and they're planning their wedding. And so we're so happy for them. And um, maybe you could know that my, one of my very favorite things to do is to hunt turkeys. Really? We, we're, we're blessed with an amazing uh, population of turkeys in Kentucky. And we just finished uh, the spring turkey season did not get a turkey this year, but I did last year. But, you know, I love being out there in the spring and just trying to bring them in. And so that's one of my favorite things to do. So, so how do you where, where do you position yourself to get a turkey? Like, do you, are you in a stand? Are you behind bushes? No. What do you do? No, you're on the ground. OK. And, um, you know, with turkeys, you hunt with a shotgun. And you have to bring them in pretty close. You have to shoot at a pretty close range. So the, okay. the challenge is to call them okay. and to, to draw the turkeys in. And uh, that's counterintuitive because the, uh, the, the Tom, the big gobblers, they just sort of stand their ground and expect the hens to come to them. But yeah. you're calling them to actually, you're making with hen sounds, trying to draw them to the to, to kind of go against their grain and move toward. So it's a challenge. One of the things I love about turkey hunting is that you're so much communicating and, you know, is all these it? calls okay. and stuff like that. So, and uh, they're a beautiful bird. Ben Franklin thought they should be our national bird rather than the bald eagle. And uh, I, I think they're a, you know, a special thing about, about America. And we have four breeds of turkeys in the United States. And, we, and so I just, uh, it's something I really look forward to every spring. Interesting. <laughs> well, I, I I hope I could be in Kentucky sometime in the in the spring. I'd love Come to on up, like, man. I'll take get a little you education. Yeah. yeah, that's great. David, thank you so much for your time. It means a lot to me um, for you to take time out of your schedule. And we're just going to continue to pray. Like, find your closet, everybody. Let's get there. Let's get connected to Jesus, what he wants to do. Thanks for yeah. coming in, David. Bless you, Andy. Thank you.